invite you to <clears throat> open your Bible with me tonight to the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 42, as we're uh, in a series on these chapters, Isaiah chapter 42. We're going to read the first four verses, but I encourage you to keep your Bible open as we'll be just jumping back a little to chapter 41 as well. Isaiah chapter 42, and we'll be reading verses 1 through 4. <clears throat> this is God's Word. Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth, and the coastlands wait for his law. Let's bow and ask the Lord's blessing. <clears throat> Father, now as we come to your word, we thank you that you show us here through the words of Isaiah the beauty of Jesus, and I pray that the Spirit would give us eyes to see and to believe, to be blessed, encouraged, uh, that we would worship Christ, love Christ, trust our Lord Jesus in all things, in all times, uh, for he cares for us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. I'd like to ask you, what would you think of uh, a person who uh, could really and truly predict your future. So imagine you met, you met a man in the store and he, he said to you, uh, tomorrow uh, afternoon at 3 o'clock you're going to have an accident and uh, you're going to receive 11 stitches, but you'll be okay. Uh, you would probably think he was uh, nuts. Um, and then what if it happened? And then uh, the next week you ran into him in the store again and he, uh, he told you what you're going to be doing um, next year at this very date or Ten years from now, this very dater, it was just evident that he clearly knew what was going to happen to you. Uh, you, would, you would, I think you would take notice of that. I think uh, you, would, you would ask him, how do you know these things? Um, because we know that only God can truly know the future. Um, the, the phrase for this ability to, to, to foretell what's going to happen is called predictive prophecy. And the book of Isaiah is full of it because in the book of Isaiah, God is, um, well, he's judging the Israelites for their idolatry and he's judging the nations for their idolatry. And, um, and one of the proofs that God raises in the book of Isaiah over and over and over again is that there are no gods that can predict the future except Jehovah, Israel's God. And that's where I ask you to keep your Bible open. If you look at chapter 41... Uh, God is pointing out in chapter 41 the futility of idols, if you look at verse 21 and following. So this is God speaking, set forth your case, says the Lord. Uh, bring your proofs, says the king of Jacob, Israel's God. Let them bring them and tell us what is to happen. That's predictive prophecy. Tell us the former things, what they are, that we may consider them, that we may know their art outcome, or declare to us the things to come. Tell us what is to come hereafter, that we may know that you are gods. Do good or do harm, that we may be dismayed and terrified. Behold, verse 24, you are nothing, 
And your work is less than nothing. An abomination is he who chooses you. If you look at verse 29, you have that word again. Behold, they are all a delusion. Their works are nothing. Their metal images are empty wind. God is just saying to Israel, look at these, uh, these false gods. Look at their sheer incompetence. Um, just tell them to do something, anything, something good, something bad. It, it doesn't matter. Just ask them to do anything, and you'll see that they're just wind, emptiness, vanity, delusion. They're not, they are not gods. Behold, look, notice, see, and then verse 29, the same. Behold, they're all a delusion. Their works are nothing. And, ex- and then directly then, in comparison, we have the first word of chapter 42. Behold. In contrast to the vanity of all false gods, behold my servant. Behold my servant. You see, God has a message for this world. In the face of of all the, the delusions of idolatry, God says, look at my servant. Pay attention. See. Notice. Focus your mind on him. This one is the revelation of the truth of God in the person of Jesus Christ. Uh, Dane Ortland, in his new book, uh, Deeper, argues that the single most important thing, if we're to grow as Christians, the single most transformative thing is to grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. That by, by looking to Christ, by seeing Christ, beholding Christ, it's the most transformative thing that happens to us. And I think that's, I think that's absolutely true. In fact, John will talk about that. When we see him, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Now, when you see the beauty of Jesus and the glory of Jesus, the, the truth about Jesus, it, it washes away any delight or love for sin. It, it purifies, it transforms. And so if we want to grow as Christians, uh, we want to be focusing on exactly the thing God says to focus on, which is the truth of Jesus. And so here in Isaiah chapter 42, we, we just have a wonderful text of uh, Isaiah prophesying, certainly not knowing. Isaiah doesn't understand all the things that he's, he's telling us here. Uh, the Holy Spirit is moving him to speak of this future coming one, the servant of God. But with New Testament eyes, we know exactly who this is. And here we see in chapter 42, Jesus' identity, uh, Jesus' character, and his mission. So his identity, his character, and his mission. Notice in verse 1, um, where God says to us, behold my servant. It's very instructive the way God uh, says this, because we tend to think of Jesus in terms of what he is for us. Jesus is our Savior. Jesus is our Redeemer. Jesus is our friend. And all those things are true. But if, if that's the only way you think about Jesus, you're not seeing the full person of Christ, the full glory of Christ. In fact, we could argue that the primary glory of Jesus isn't what he is to you or to me. The full glory of Jesus is, first of all, what he is as God and for God and to God. Uh, You can illustrate this. uh, uh, When children are young, and even as when they get older, children have just a natural tendency 
to view their parents in purely self-referential terms. That's my dad, that's my mom, uh, she cooks, or she, uh, she cleans my room, or she teaches me school, or she, and dad, dad does these things, and they do these things for me. Uh, children don't stop to ask themselves, I wonder, what, I wonder what mom's dreams really are. Right? Kids aren't saying, you know, what, what does mom wish that she could do? They're not really concerned about that at all. It's, all, it's purely self-referential terms. And only as kids, as kids grow up um, and become adults, then you begin to see your parents in a different light. They're, they're, they're whole people with histories and, and, and gifts and uh, abilities that have nothing to do with raising children. Uh, they're, they're, they're actual people with dreams and aspirations and desires. And you, and you, you come to know your parents in a, in a fuller, truer way. Well, it's the same with, with Jesus. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't simply exist as a, our Savior. He, he is, praise the Lord, but, but He exists as His own glorious person and, and to the glory of His Father. That was the passion of, of, of Jesus in this world. Father, glorify Your name. That's what, that was His aspiration. That was His, his zeal, to glorify the name of, of His Father. And so when, when God speaks of His servant, well, let's just notice what He says. Uh, no, behold, my servant. Uh, God's servant, of course, a servant is someone who's just devoted to doing whatever the master wants him to do. And Jesus is, is that. Uh, Jesus says in John chapter 4, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. That's my food. That's what I feed on. Uh, Jesus would, would say, I don't say anything of my own. I just say what the Father tells me to say. I don't do anything of my own. I just do what the Father tells me to do. Jesus wants to make it very clear. He's not here on a mission of his own making. He is a servant in the truest and purest sense of the word. His words and his works are in direct obedience to the call and command of his heavenly Father. Jesus exists, first of all, to God, for God, for His Father. Now, now why, does, why, does this, why does this matter? Well, I think it, it highlights, first of all, the glory of Jesus in His incarnation. Because what we see then is that Jesus, being the second person of the Trinity, God of God, right? Very God of very God, begotten, not made. In all of His glory... The second person of the Trinity humbles himself and embraces this role of a servant. Being found, Paul says, in human form, he, he took the form of a servant and became obedient even to death on the cross. The, 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 the wonder of the gospel is that the very Son of God, the very Son of God was willing to embrace the role of a servant and all the way down to the cross and to the tomb. The Son of God did that. Not just Jesus, the man from Nazareth, yes, but, but the God-man, the Son of God did, did that. You see, you see the, the mystery of the, of the gospel is just highlighted by the truth of Jesus as he is in his being, his person, in his deity. So that Paul will marvel that the Son of God loved me and gave himself for me. The Son of God did. 
And it's a great comfort then to God's people that Jesus is the servant. Because he's, he, he's not, Jesus isn't engaged as a mediator in the sense of, uh, of God the Father is over here and sinners are over here. God the Father wants nothing to do with us and we want nothing to do with him. And Jesus inserts himself and tries to bring these two parties together. That's not what happens in the gospel. The truth is, is that Jesus is the Father's servant. It is God reconciling the world to himself in Jesus Christ. God moving towards sinners in Jesus Christ. That's, that's what's happening. And the great comfort then you see is that, um, well, as the servant of God, Jesus is in that sense God the Father himself coming after us and, and seeking us and drawing us back to himself. And so to see Jesus in his, in his glory is to see Jesus as this magnificent, devoted servant of the Father. Secondly, God says, my chosen. And, uh, and as the chosen, of course, Jesus is the preeminently chosen. We are chosen too, aren't we? A chosen before the foundation of the world. But, but our choosing is in him, in Christ. God wants us to know that this one, and, and only through this one, God will accomplish his redemption, his, his work of making everything new, and, and reveal his glory. The, the, the glory of what God is like, his grace, his justice, his mercy. All of that is going to be put on public display once and for all time in the person of Jesus Christ God's servant. Jesus will be lifted up as the preeminent final sign of who God is and what God is about. God's self-revelation in the final and ultimate degree. You know, one of the things that that's, we need to remember about Jesus, there's no one like Jesus. That's not true for any other person. Any other person uh, in your life or in the history of the world, of course, you can say, well, uh, he's kind of like so-and-so. You can't say that about Jesus. There, there's no one like him. He's in a category completely to himself as the chosen of God, the one who reveals God and, and accomplishes his work. And God delights in him. Behold my chosen in whom my soul delights. Why would, why would God add that? Why would God want to, to, to add these words, um, in whom my soul delights? There, it's not... It's not uh, unintended or accidental. It's not a throwaway phrase. It's a crucial part of God's message to mankind. It's something that God wants us to know. He wants us to understand this. And in fact, you find God saying exactly the same thing in the Gospels. In the Gospels, if you remember, there are only two times that the Father speaks. The rest of Jesus is Jesus talking. There's two times the Father speaks. Once at the baptism of Jesus and once on the Mount of transfiguration. And both times, the Father says exactly the same thing. This is my dearly beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. This is my Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to Him. You see, that's the point. That's why God wants us to know that He delights in Jesus. He wants us to realize that, that if we want to know the Father... The only way is to come to the Father through the Son. You, you can't get to the Father any other way than through Jesus Christ. 
There's a, Mike Horton wrote an excellent book on this just whole topic about how, um, well, he's written several books on this, actually, Christless Christianity, um, one's in the face of God, this tendency that, that people have to try to do an end run around Jesus and have an experience of God or relationship with God apart from a crucified Savior. Well, God just says right here, this is my son whom I dearly love, my servant, my chosen one. Listen to him. He's placed Jesus in the middle of human history as the, as the, the epical center of redemptive history. And God says, uh, don't dream of coming to me apart from him. This is my servant, my son. Listen to him. So he's the appointed of God. He's also the anointed of God. I've put my spirit upon him. I put my spirit upon him. Eric Alexander points out that the spirit of God is always given for, to carry out the mission of God. The spirit is given purely to that end. And, and so we find that in the gospels, that Jesus, um, the spirit descends like a dove. John says when he baptizes Jesus, he sees the spirit descend like a dove. And we're told in Luke chapter 4, verse 1, that Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, went out into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Full of the Holy Spirit. That's Jesus. That's how he carried out his mission. The most spirit-filled man in the history of the world. But Jesus uh, was not just a fully spirit-filled man, but Jesus told his disciples, didn't he, that, that um, they were not to try to do ministry until they had received the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is given to empower gospel mission, God's mission. And that's what the text wants us to know, that God is, has equipped his Son to carry out his God-given mission. The full measure of the Spirit is given to Jesus. And in that power, he carries out his great gospel task. And so that's what God wants us to know about who Jesus is, his identity. But then the text moves on to tell us what he's like. What he's like. Verse 2 and 3 is character. You see, the, the, the power of Christ is contrasted with his meek and gentle spirit. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. It's popular for, to hear people say today that Jesus was a social activist or a political rebel. Jesus was, was uh, trying to undermine and overturn the social structures of his day. Well, I think that completely misses his mission, but it also miss, misses his manner. Jesus did not have a loudspeaker. He wasn't, he wasn't um, out making a name for himself in that sense, right? He's not trying to build his Twitter platform or uh, promote his brand. He would routinely tell people after he had done some miraculous healing, don't tell anyone. He, he's not a loudmouth. He's, he, he's, he's the Son of God on earth in the power of the Spirit going about his divine uh, cosmic changing all things, and he's doing it quietly. And I think that's glorious about Jesus. When you watch Jesus, you have this, this sense that it's not about him. It's, it's about other things. It's about his father. Primarily, it's about his father. Here's a man devoted to his father's will. And, and it's about the eternal well-being of those the father had given to him. Jesus loved his own, and he loved them to the uttermost and to the end, he, he prays for his own. It, Jesus is about making everything in this broken and sin-cursed world new. It, it's about those things. That's, that's his, his manner. 
He's, he's, not, he's not a boisterous, loud mouth out to make, in that sense, a name for himself. It's exactly in his humility that he is exalted and given the name by the Father that's above every name. And he was gentle. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He's both, he's both the most powerful man that ever, ever lived and the most gentle and caring man that ever lived. A bruised reed is, is a reed that has suffered an internal wound of some sort, and, uh, and, and it's caused that reed to bend over. And no matter how many times, boys and girls, maybe you've tried that with a broken piece of uh, a reed or a blade of grass, and you can try to prop it up, but it, it can't stay up. It's been bruised, and it, it always falls over. A faintly burning wick is a wick that is nearly out of fuel. Its resources are exhausted. It's come to the end of itself, the end of its ability, and it's, and it's about to die out. Those are really descriptive um, or, or apt descriptions of, of the human condition. This is what it's like to be a, a person in this fallen world. We, we all have suffered internal wounds of some sort. Everyone does. Uh, wounds of neglect or abuse, self-inflicted wounds of, of sin, Pride, lust, greed, whatever it might be, there's, there's, uh, there's a, a bend to us, and we're, and we're not able to stand up in the presence of God. And it's a wonderful thing to know that Jesus is compassionate and kind. A bruised reed he will not break. And some of us feel like fainting wicks, right? We, and we have that experience. If, if, you've, if you've become a Christian, part of that experience was coming to the end of yourself. And realizing you don't have the resources to fix yourself. You don't have the ability to make yourself right with God. Uh, you're, you're at the end of yourself. And at that moment, you see, then, then we come to this Savior who cares. He doesn't snuff us out. He cares. And, and that's important to remember that He cares. I, I remember um, there's, an, there's an old song, right, by uh, Frank Grafe, Does Jesus Care?, I remember back, way back when I was in, in uh, way back in seminary, and uh, there was a, a show on the radio by Bill Pierce called Night Sounds. Some of you um, maybe remember that. It, it might, you might be still be able to find it, but Night Sounds was just a wonderful late night, maybe 11 o'clock, and he had the most wonderful melodic, soft bass voice, um, and he would, just, he would just talk to you on the radio. It was, it was beautiful, and then he would play hymns, and I remember one night, I, I, I was driving, and um, just really a hurting heart because of my stupidity and sin, and and uh, and Bill was just talking to me, and and uh, and he played this hymn: "Does Jesus care? Does Jesus care when my heart is pained too deeply for mirth or song, as the burdens press and the cares distress, and the way grows weary and long? Does Jesus care when my way is dark with a nameless dread and fear, as the daylight fades into deep night shades?" Does he care enough to be near? Does Jesus care when I've tried and failed to resist some temptation strong, when for my deep grief there is no relief, though my tears flow all the night long? Does Jesus care when I've said goodbye to the dearest on earth to me, and my sad heart, heart aches till it nearly breaks? Is it aught to him? Does he see? And of course the chorus is, oh yes, he cares. I know he cares. His heart is touched with my grief. Though the days are weary and the long nights are dreary, I know my Savior cares. And we know because 
Scripture tells us he cares, right? 1 Peter 5.7, cast, 5, cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. Jesus cares. That's, that's what God is telling us in our text. He's concerned for bruised reeds and, and faintly burning wicks. He doesn't leave us to our fate, but shows compassion. So we have the identity of Christ and the, the, the manner, the character of Christ, and then finally the mission of Christ. What does he come to do? Well, that's the beauty of it. He's, he's come to bring justice. Now, that, that initially doesn't sound maybe um, appealing, but it's the word that shows up three times in our short uh, text here. Verse 1, uh, he will bring forth justice to the nations. Uh, verse 3, he will faithfully bring forth justice. Verse 4, he will not grow faint or be discouraged until he has established justice in the earth. Well, how is that good news? Well, it's good news, you see, because justice means to bring things in line with law. And Jesus uh, has come to bring things in line with the law of God. In other words, uh, Jesus has come to make everything as it ought to be, everything as God intended it to be, everything as it, as it should be in, in, uh, in, in keeping with the character of God and the purposes of God. Jesus has come, in other words, to make things right. His mission was not simply to die on a cross and save us from our sin, though praise the Lord he did. But that is one part of his mission. The, the, the mission is, is a cosmic mission to make everything new, to, to defeat the power of the devil and to bring all things under the rightful rule and reign of God. We need to keep the big picture in view when we think about our Lord Jesus. And that he's come, you see, the, the wonder of what it means to belong to him and to be saved is that Jesus has brought us into that cosmic redemption. He's not just cared for me personally, praise God that he has, but, but, but more than that, he's cared for his, his, his creation. He's cared for all this world that God has made, and Jesus has engaged in this mission to bring everything to where it ought to be, under the rule and the reign of God. And, and that's how the Bible ends. Revelation 21, that Jesus says, I'm going to make everything new. I'm going to, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more, and there shall be no more mourning, nor crying, nor pain, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. That's our Lord Jesus. That's the Jesus of Scripture. That's the Jesus we profess, the beautiful servant of God who was so tender and kind that he gave his life to rescue us and, and so committed to the Father's will that he has accomplished justice cosmically and the making of everything new. And so let's live in, uh, in faith, right, in, in the presence of this Lord Jesus. Let's trust what he's accomplished and trust what he's said. Live in the truth that, uh, of, of who he is and what he's like and what he's done and be glad in him. Let's, let's commit ourselves to knowing this Jesus, to seeing him in his beauty and in his glory, to loving him in truth and watch as that transforms our life. Let's pray. Oh, Jesus, thank you that you care for us, for our grief, for our weakness, that you care for us in our lost condition. But, oh, Jesus, thank you that above all you were devoted to your Father. 
and that you have brought us up into this cosmic redemption of making all things new. And that our lives are being defined not just by your care for us, but by what you've accomplished on the broadest scale. And that you're bringing us, Lord, into this new reality where everything is as it ought to be. In the middle of all of our brokenness and our sin and our grief and the the losses that we, 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 we grieve, Father, I pray that we would see Jesus as the one who's come to restore what's been lost. He's the one who's, who's come to reunite us with our God and to reunite us with our loved ones who've gone on before. And, and uh, the Jesus who's come to, to perfect us, mind and body. The Jesus who's, who's come to usher in the eternal kingdom in a new heaven and a new earth. And I pray that we would live then with expectation and patience and peace and joy because Jesus has said he will do it and he always accomplishes what he promises. Oh, Jesus, give us the grace to know you more and more. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. We're gonna sing uh, together as we close out tonight a new hymn uh, in the Trinity Trinity Psalter hymnal, Behold My Servant. The tune will be familiar to you. Uh, the, The words are new, but they speak exactly to what we've been talking about tonight. Let's stand together and sing. into the the world, the life that God has ordained for you, called you to, go with his blessing. Now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father 
the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you and abide with you all. Amen. Thank you.